book of Ezra. I mentioned last week that we were finishing up as the Jewish people were being carried into captivity. And tonight we're going to start talking about when they were coming back from captivity. And the reason I really wanted to talk about that is because I think so many times uh, we get in this mindset that when it gets bad or gets difficult, that God is not able to work. And for the Jewish people, if you're carried into slavery and captivity and you've watched your home and your life be torn down and burned to the ground, I mean, you're thinking this is as bad as it can get. I mean, can you imagine? Now, not all of the Jewish people would have understood because they refused to listen, but can you imagine the faithful, those faithful people that were unfaithful but then realized that what they were going through was their fault? And can you imagine watching your children follow you in chains or into slavery and be thinking the whole time, I did this. And tonight I want to talk to you because I think as a parent and as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, uh, sometimes we don't really think about the consequences or the blessings that we are passing on to the next generation. We don't think about what our sin could do to our children. As a pastor, that is what I pray for on a regular basis, uh, that the Lord would help me. Because I know that my sin doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just affect my wife and my children, but it affects the 700 and some of you who regularly call 10 Mile Home. And so as the Jewish people are going into slavery and you're thinking about their children, maybe even there were people whose grandchildren were going into slavery with them, and the whole time it is all because that generation's sin. And I think about the wilderness story. As the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, the Bible says about that generation that the, the adults that caused the sin and did not go into the promised land, as they were wandering, who died? They did, right? That generation except for Caleb and Joshua. Well, that's bad enough when my sin affects me right? It's bad enough when my sin hurts me, but it's another thing when I think about my sin hurting my children. And my mother witnessed this this week, and I can, so she can testify. Um, She's a Baptist, so she probably won't, but uh, no. uh, This week I subbed at the grade school. My oldest two children love to see their dad. If I stick my head out on the playground, they're running up to hug me. Their kids think, I, their friends think I'm the coolest thing since sliced bread, you know, and I'll pick up Andrea and throw her. Kylie, she's too big to pick up and throw up at this point. But so Jayla is coming out of music. This is true, isn't it? You can sit right there and watch her. And I thought it would be cool to pick her up and, you know, just hug her. And, and I like to hold my kids upside down and do the tick-tock clock thing to them. And, and they love it. Well, I picked her up, and I could tell she wasn't happy, but I thought, oh, she's just playing. So naturally, I do what I do and put her down, and my mom's standing there, and she runs immediately to her, and she is full on in tears. We're like red-faced, the web temper's coming out in her, and uh, 
I got you both right there. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, she's really mad. And she, she told my mom, she was like, I'm so embarrassed. I had to go to the end of the line. And, and she was furious. And the rest of the day when I saw her, she would get in behind other kids so that she would not have to look at me or all the kids in her class going, hi, Mr. Gray, hi, Mr. Gray. She's walking behind them like this. And I'm thinking, I will beat you. But anyway, but my actions had affected her negatively. Now, she was over it by the time she got home that night, but she was absolutely heartbroken. But think about this in a serious sense about my children learning the sinful habits that I have and then destroys their marriage. Or the sinful choices that I make affect them. That's, that's a thought that overwhelms me. But tonight I want you to hear that even though that's how Jeremiah ended, God was faithful. And God begins to send the children of Israel back to the promised land. The book of Ezra and Nehemiah most likely were one book at one time. Um, but yet they were split apart. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them being two books. They're exactly the same as uh, they were. But I want to give you some dates, and you can write this down, uh, because I really want you to see how God was working all of this out. Uh, in 538 B.C. was the year that Cyrus uh, told the children of Israel that they could go back to... Israel. And um, that's a very important year. And then in 537, Zerubbabel uh, went to Jerusalem and they began the very next year to start rebuilding the temple. They, they started the foundation, but then the work was halted. And so for 16 years, uh, that's how it was. They, they started, but they hadn't accomplished. And so if you're familiar with some of the Old Testament books... Uh, there were two Old Testament uh, prophets there in 520. But also in 520, the new emperor, uh, Darius, says you need to get in there and start working. And so it takes about four years to 516 B.C. and the temple is complete. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 4 because I want to show you how God had this planned and his purpose was not um, a mistake. And so if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down, that God has a purpose and a plan. God has a purpose and a plan. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, 
besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And so we see here that this is a pagan king, but yet God uses a pagan king to help accomplish his purpose. If you want to flip over in Isaiah, the 44th chapter, there is the prophet Isaiah is prophesying that one of these days God is going to raise up a king to help the people of Israel. And so listen to Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, I hope you hear the significance of that name, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple your foundation shall be laid. goes on in verse 4, chapter 45, and it begins to list specifically, and you can read this on your own time for the sake of time, exactly what this pagan king is going to do for the children of Israel. And you say, well, that's written at a later date. It's not. It says, God announced the agent of his rescue of exile, Judah, Cyrus the Great. Thus Isaiah, whose ministry spanned four kings, whose reign stretched from 742 B.C. to 686 B.C. So I want you to hear 538, 150, 100, no, excuse me. Yeah, 150 to 180 years before Cyrus was ever born. Isaiah, in writing, hears from God and says the exact name of the person who God is going to raise up to you be used by God for this purpose. The nation of Israel hadn't been in exile yet. They had never even heard of Persia yet. They had never even heard of this king because he had not even been born. You see, these are reasons why the Old Testament, in my opinion, there is no question that it is written by God. It is God's Word. Because you cannot in any way, shape, or form make this up. 160 years, I would just love for you to write down sometime and put in a, in a uh, vessel for your great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren what you think the president's name will be in 160 years and exactly how the president is going to help the nation, the decisions he's going to make or she and what that's going to look like in 160 years from now. You say, Jake, that would be impossible. But yet that is exactly what Isaiah told them. And so tonight I want you to hear this because in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of adversity, in the middle of when everything seems to fall apart, it is so easy to think, where is God? God already knows what you need. God has already knew what you need before you needed it. And that's such a comfort to me in life when it doesn't seem to make sense, when people seem to do things that I don't understand why anyone in their right mind would do. I have to be reminded that God knows, that God is in control. And so I just really want you to hear that because it is so important to think about in your life that when everything seems to not make sense, that God is still in control. And so uh, just a few more dates I want to give you 
is uh, 486. There's a new emperor on the throne. If you're familiar with the book of Esther, it would have taken place in 479, 478. And then about 458 B.C. is when Ezra would have taken his expedition into Israel. And so uh, Proverbs 21 verse 1. Someone wants to find that very quickly tonight. I want to leave this section with that. And uh, you don't have to flip over there. But Proverbs 21 verse 1 is really an amazing verse. It says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, He turns it wherever He wishes. You see, God can work in the most powerful person on the planet. And that's something I want you to hear tonight because it's this simple concept that I think sometimes we think there are people that God can't humble. I don't care who lives in the White House. If God so chooses, God can do as He sees fit when He sees fit. I don't care who lives in the many palaces of Great Britain. If God wants to move and change their heart and their direction, He can. And so in your life, I want you to remember that, that there is never someone, there is never a situation that if God sees fit, cannot reach down and turn the entire direction of the way things are going. And so I just want to just look at this verses tonight because you see here a few very important things that I think you and I need to be reminded of as God's children. As God's children, we ought to be reminded here in verse 2 that there is no kingdom or nor nation that God is not over. You say, well, Jake, what about Pakistan and um, what about Egypt and what about all these countries that, that don't worship the God of the Bible, that uh, worship Islam, or what about India that has a, a multitude of gods, or, or China that claims to be without God. God is still in control of all of it. God raises nations and brings nations to their knees. And so tonight I just want you to hear that because when you begin to think that God is not big enough to handle a problem because it's not where you're at, or because God doesn't know what's going on, He does. And so he says there in that verse that God has given all the kingdoms to him. If I give you something, that means it was first in what? My possession. If I was to take Wayne's glasses and give them to Tristan, that wouldn't be a gift, would it? It'd be theft. And I'm guessing that he would go from there to there and ask for his glasses back. If you could find them, yeah, walking around, you know. Older people problems, right? So I didn't say old, I said older. Um, but if I gave him my pair of glasses that I've not worn in 15 years and don't even own anymore, they were mine, I could give them to him. And what he acknowledges here is that God really is over all. That God is over everything. And look what it says here in verse 3. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He literally says that God's people should be going to where God wants them to do what God wants them to do. And in your life today, you have to come to that understanding that God has a purpose for my life. 
I'm not here by accident. I'm not here by chance. I, I, God, God has a purpose and a plan for you. How many of you bore, uh, chose what year you were going to be born in? How many of you chose the parents that you have? How many of you chose the nationality that you are? How many of you chose the hospital that you were born? You see, God does not have you here by your choice. You are here for a purpose and a plan. You say, well, Jake, I don't know about that. My, the situation of my birth, I was more of an accident. There are no accidents and there are no mistakes when it comes to the sanctity of human life. No matter the circumstances of how they start, from the moment of conception, it's what we believe, a child is always a what? A blessing. Always. You say, well, Jake, my family doesn't think that. My friends don't think that. Look up here. They're wrong and I'll tell them if you want me to. And so I want you to see that. But look what it goes on in verse 4. Not only does God have a purpose and a plan, but God prepares everything that they need. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So there was an offering that people could make willingly. And then he says, if you've got extra, I want you to give to this purpose. And so God could have provided everything they need supernaturally, but He worked through who? Oh, come on, it's really not that hard. People, what God has given you is not yours. It's not mine. You say, oh, yes, it is, preacher. I've invested it. I've inherited I've worked for it. Look up here. Everything you have is from God, and it belongs to Him. And if you die and your kids fight over it, what good is it? God has blessed you. And if God has blessed you tonight with wealth or with talents, whatever it is, they're there for a purpose to be used. And so the second thing I want to show you tonight, if you're taking notes, is not only does God have a purpose and a plan, but God knows the specifics and specifically what you need. God knows the specifics and specifically what you need. Starting in verse 5 through 11. <clears throat> then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. Now I want to ask you a question. Is there another time in the Bible where God tells His people to move and begins to provide them with gold and silver and the things they need, even though they didn't work for it? You have to speak up. i got an ear that doesn't work. Moses and the children leaving Egypt, right? They literally gave them whatever they had so they would what? Get out of Dodge. If God asks you to move, if God asks you to step out in faith, if God asks you to do something you've never done before, He will provide what you need. 
He's already got, He has already given it to someone, even if it hasn't made it to you yet. Now don't miss that one. That was extremely good. It wasn't good English, so I corrected it. God has already given what you need to someone, or He will then give it to you. You say, Jake, I just don't believe in, in letting people, uh, people help. Well, I understand I have that problem. That's a big problem that I have. Not willing to do anything about it, but it's a problem I have, all right? But God will bless you in ways that you don't understand why because there will be a need that will one day arise that you can help meet that need. I can't believe how many times God has blessed me with something. And it might seem insignificant, right? Maybe it's a, a $25 gas card that came in the mail that I didn't want to come in the mail. And, and so in my mindset, I'm not going to use that. And it would be amazing how some, someone will call and say, hey, we got to get our kids to the doctor. They're sick. They're, we don't have any money. And I'm like, hey, I've got the perfect thing for you. I'd love for you to take this gift card and use it. You say, Jake, that's not, that's not a big deal. I bet it is to that parent who's trying to get their sick kid to the doctor. I can't begin to tell you how many times people show up on our doorstep with clothes and bicycles and, and all kinds of stuff that we, we already have enough of, right? But we just keep storing it or giving it away. But you don't realize how significant those extra clothes you had from when your kids are little until you take them to some family that doesn't have enough money to put clothes on their children. Those old toys that your kids are tired of and sick and tired of playing with, they might not mean something until you can take them to a family who doesn't have enough money to buy Christmas for their children. It's kind of like Operation Christmas Child. The boxes that are out there that we're going to make, the stuff that's in there, you can buy every bit of it from Dollar General. And I am so thankful for the Dollar General and Dowger. I just want to say that. The Lord has blessed and from the windows of heaven, and we have a Dollar General. But there is nothing in those boxes that you even think anything about. Go, what, I need washcloths? Let's go buy washcloths. You know, we never have any clean washcloths in our house, but I'll go buy some more. Soap, right? Soap, it's simple. Toothpaste, toothbrushes. What else goes in those boxes? Come on, you've been buying them. You ought to know. School supplies. Uh, yeah, all that stuff is just stuff we would not even consider giving to someone. If you put that in a, in a box this Christmas and gave it to your grandkids, I want to just, just see how it goes. You ought to all do that. That's their first gift this year, washcloths. See how that goes over. They'll look at you like you, that you're not even their grandparent anymore. But to them kids, when they open that box, you ever seen those videos? There's more joy, more thankfulness. Because why? God has given you what you need and abundantly more so that you can meet the need of someone who what? Has a need. And that you say, Jake, that's not as big as building the temple or, or all. doesn't matter. You see, if God really cares about each and every person, God cares about the specifics and He also knows specifically what each and every one of us need. I tell you what, that's uh, something that I have really noticed uh, if I have been doing some subbing. I don't sub because I need the money. I don't sub because I enjoy spending eight hours away from my family. I sub because there are kids in those schools that need someone to show them that Jesus loves them. 
and that they matter. And if you all ain't going to sub, I'm going to sub, all right? That's just the way it goes. So, uh, but I am never amazed at how broken these kids are at no fault of their own. And I begin to talk to them, and they're talking about their mom and their dad, and I made the mistake, and I'll tell you this, I always like to go into a class and ask them, who's your mom and dad? I probably went to school with them, right? I'm old now, not as old as some of you, but you know. And, and, and the kids I kind of knew, they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I went to high school with your mom. And I went to high school with your dad. And, and then the first time a kid looked at me and said, you know what, I, I hear a lot of nice things about my dad, but I don't know my dad. He lives in the same town as me and has nothing to do with me. You know how tall I felt standing in front of a class of 22 people? This tall. And as that high school boy is holding back tears, I'm thinking, I'm going to go find his dad and slap some sense into him. That's what I was thinking in my brain. But it broke my heart. Or, or how, how a kid will come to school and have nothing that my kids have multiple things of. And so you don't know just how specific God wants you to work in someone's life. You say, Jake, I don't have anything monetarily to help people with. Monetarily to help people with. It might be the simple fact that you will sit and talk to a coworker that no one else talks to. That it might be that you reach out to a family that the rest of the community has given up on. It might mean you walking across the hill at one of these meals on a Wednesday night to a single mom who's been here week after week after week after week, whose kids are sitting by her, who she's hanging out with, but not one person has ever came and sit across from her and said, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you drug them kids to church all by yourself. I'm thankful for that. It matters. Don't give up. You say, well, Jake, that's just, those are so insignificant. They're not if you believe that God cares about every single person, every single need. I went and visited with a lady this week in the hospital. She has a church home, and uh, which I guess this is on the footage, and I guess it'll get me in trouble, but I don't care. <laughs> she said, uh, my pastor just won't come and visit me. And I said, well, you know, you're kind of difficult. I could see that, joking, you know, just joking. I was just, you know me, shouldn't have been joking, but I was. But then I realized that she wasn't joking. He literally would not come and see her. She was heartbroken. She's 80-some years old. And if you're in the hospital and you're sick and you went to church somewhere for 50 years, you expect what? You expect someone to come visit you. And in that moment, I thought, Jake, you're an idiot. And two, I'm going to go find that guy and I'm going to slap him around, right? That's a common theme this week in my life. It's not a good place that I've been. Yeah. But I ask you that this morning because how busy are you in your life? You drop your kids off at school. You, you, you rush to the grocery store. You, you run into your family's house and you're there. But do you really, are you really looking for the needs that God wants you to be a part of meeting? You say, Jake, I can't live my life that way. I got too much going on. I got too many things. Then I would encourage you to take a breath. Take a breath. I... Uh, I got a kick out of Tim Lee when he said, uh, uh, when he was talking about asking people how they're doing, that we really don't want to hear how people are doing. Because literally most of us just want people to stop talking long enough that we can do what? Start. 
But yet what we see here in this passage of Scripture, and you're saying, Jake, you're really chasing the rabbit uh, down the hole. I'm not tonight, but I'm trying to bring it down to a level where we can understand. Because most of us are not going to be asked to march into a foreign country and build a giant, massive temple for the Lord. But what about going to Nicaragua and building a small church where people who don't have a place to worship can have a place to worship? You say, well, preacher, I'm not going overseas. I'm not traveling. I'm not leaving. Look what happened to those missionaries in Haiti. The Bible says that we are to go to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And it doesn't have a threat clause. It doesn't have a clause to say, well, you're too busy to go on a mission trip. You say, well, Jake, I won't go, but I'll give. That's fine. God might have blessed you financially so that you could give instead of go. You say, well, Jake, I don't have the ability to go and I don't have the ability to give. Then there is something that God has given you the opportunity to do that requires no money and no talent. Guess what that is? Pray. You see, most of us think that prayer is the most insignificant thing that we can do in the kingdom of God, but yet the Bible says we're to pray without... And so if it's something we're always supposed to be doing, that must mean it makes a difference and that it matters. And so tonight I just really want you to focus in on this and to be thinking in your life, how has God blessed you specifically? What has God given you specifically? I, as you know, um, have a lot of children. But I have no desire to go work with the other children of this church. I don't mind to laugh with them in the uh, lobby. I don't mind to give them pancakes when their supervising adult says, don't give them pancakes. That doesn't bother me. I'm all about that. But if you were to say, Jake, we'll find someone to fill in for you in Sunday morning, you can go in there and hang out with the kids for an hour. I'm taking a sick date. No offense to kids, that's just not my gift. And when they start screaming and crying and not listening, everything in me thinks parents should have spanked them more. You say, Jake, I'd love for you to go work with the teens. Boy, I love to go spend uh, about an hour after church out there when they're shooting baskets and stuff like that. But if you said, Jake, I want you to go out there and try to build a relationship with them, get to know them and, and really spend time with them, I'm going to work at Walmart. Why? Because I just that's just whew, brings anxiety to me. But yet God might have called you for that. God might have equipped you with that specific gift, that specific skill set to make a difference. Maybe today you're saying, well, Jake, I, uh, I don't know how I can be a parent. I, you know, there's other people that seem to be better parents than me. Look up here. If you're a parent, you're learning as you go, all right? Doesn't matter what age you are, stage you are, you're learning as you go. And so you can't compare your ability to be a parent compared to what someone else's ability to be a parent is because God has given you those children and they have a need. And if there's a need and God has brought you into their life, you are there to what? Meet that need. You say, well, Jake, I don't think God prepared me very good to meet that need. That's what you think, but God didn't make a mistake. God didn't make a mistake creating you. He didn't make a mistake creating them. And even when you feel like a failure, even when you feel like you can't do it, even when you can't feel like you can't take one more cup that's been spilt in the living room floor, God still knows the specific and knows specifically what you need. 
And let's go on here and finish these few verses. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of the gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshabar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshabar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, if there are no mistakes in the Bible and God always puts in the Bible what is right, then there has to be a purpose for why He mentions all this. And it wasn't for the Jewish people to be like, hey, look how much stuff we got that you can rob from us. No. God gives specific names and specific dimensions and specific lists for this reason. For you and I to know that God knows the specific need and specifically what is needed to accomplish that. Whatever God was calling them to do, He had provided it in the specifics. You see, sometimes we pray and say, Lord, I don't know what I need. Just whatever you think I need, just let me have it. One, you ought to pray specifically what you think God has for you to do. Specifically. But know that God might know what you really need, even if you don't. You say, Lord, I've got a terrible temper. I need patience. That's great. You ought to pray that way. But you know how you ought to pray? You ought to say, Lord, I need patience when I get home and things aren't the way they should be. I've had a long, stressful day. Lord, I need patience in that moment. You say, Lord, I'm going into work today, and you know that person that I work with? I pray every day, Lord, that you'd fire them, specifically them. You can pray specifically in those situations, but God, I need you to give me grace to extend to this person. Father, I need you to shut my mouth when I feel like I don't want to shut my mouth. And Lord, I need the wisdom to know what to say when it needs to be said. Lord, I need, the, I need exactly these things in this hour. You say, well, Jake, that's a lot of praying. Did you ever think that might be why the Bible says pray without ceasing? Because God knows what you need in the specific situations, in the moments, just like the children of Israel are leaving slavery, they're leaving captivity, and as they go, the king begins to say, hey, wait, before you leave, I don't, I'm not going to just let you go. I'm not just going to let the people take up an offering for you. I would like to give you back everything that we took from you. You'd be like, wait a second. You, you mean you want to give me back the stuff that you took? Yes. And that's what he does. He says, I want you to bring it out. I want you to give it to them. And I want you to take it and leave. Now, I don't know about you, but if your bank called you and said, we would love to give you back every bit of interest that you paid on your house. Would you like to come get a check for that amount? 
you'd all say, nope, 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 you earned it, bank earned it, you know what, you loan me the money, I sign the contract, you keep it. You lie. If you shook your head that you would do that, you're a liar, all right? No, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's twice what my house was paid for, right? I, I love to have that check back. You see, because Nebuchadnezzar took what he took because who told him to? God did. God even said, you are my instrument to bring judgment to my children. But then yet when God laid it on his heart, the king of Persia here, he says, now give it back. Now, that's not our nature. If I got something from you fair and square, it's mine. I don't know how many times on the playground when I was a kid, right, you'd have like different baseball cards or something. And if you knew what something was worth, you always appreciate it when some kid whose parents had a lot of money bought them the real nice stuff but yet they didn't know what it was worth? Because you'd be like, well, of course, I would love to trade you this John Starks card for that rookie Michael Jordan card. You know, it's a fair trade. And you'd trade and your parents would get home. Where'd you get that card from? I don't know. Give it back. Mm -mm. That's not our nature. How many of you have ever won an argument and thought, oh, yeah. That, was, that felt good. That felt really good. And all the husbands are going, I don't know what that feels like. I understand. I understand. When you're at work, you want an argument at work. You got, you know. And then God says, hey, maybe you ought to go back and apologize. Mm-mm. Nope. Or maybe you told someone exactly how you feel about them, and boy, it feels good. It's like a weight's been lifted. I've been wanting to tell you that for years. And then God begins to convict you and says, you know what? That should have never came out of your mouth. I want you to go apologize. Nope. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. But that's exactly what happens here. God provides for them so specifically and so intentionally that even the stuff that they lost because of their sinfulness, God restored. And I wanted to stop right there because God can restore things in your life and my life that we have lost. God can restore broken marriages. God can restore families that are tore apart. God can restore relationships. God can restore lost people to Himself. You see, we believe in a God that reconciles and restores. It is the Gospel that God reconciled sinners to Himself. I, who and was lost and dying and on my way to hell, who was an enemy of God, am now a part of the family of God. Because God what? God reconciled me. And so tonight I really want you to do something for me other than give your kids washcloths for Christmas. I want you to, and you can write it down where no one else can seize it. If you're too embarrassed to write it down, I want you to write it down. If you're not embarrassed, or if you are embarrassed, don't write it down, write it back later. One relationship, or one person, or one situation that needs restoration, that needs reconciliation. And I want you to write that down tonight, and I want you to begin to pray for it. Now, I'm not saying that it'll happen today. I'm not saying that it'll happen tomorrow. I'm not even saying that God will bring it about, but what I'm telling you is that He can And as you pray for that, I want you to ask yourself one question. 
is there any reconciling that needs to happen on my end? Everyone's got a problem with me, and it's always their fault. I've never caused a problem in my life. Now you say, Jake, that's not true. It isn't true, but that's how we think. But if you want to get serious about God restoring and God reconciling and God bringing things back to the way that they should be, you've got to be willing to get along with God and say, Lord, search me. Lord, search every thought that I've had, every word that I've said. That's why the Bible says if your brother has something against you and you come to church and you go to leave your offering, the Bible says what? Just give a bigger offering. It'll make up for it. I wish it said that. That'd be a whole lot easier. God has blessed us to the point in our life where if He said, Jake, it would be okay by a bigger check, I could write the check. A whole lot easier than God says, hey, Jake, you need to go apologize to John. Because that's when I'm like, no, I'll just write a bigger check. I'll give more money to missions. I'll work more. Or maybe things have been difficult between my wife and I. And usually it's my fault. I'll admit that. She's not perfect, but usually it's me. Well, I don't want to deal with that today. I don't want to deal with the headache that's going to come from this argument. I'll just work more. I mean, I'm working for the Lord. I'll go visit more sick people. I'll go pray with more people. I'll go share the gospel more. And you know how many times I've done that in the last 10 years? Never. No, a lot. Because in my mind, if I do more for God, or if I give more for God, or if I do more for what God wants me, then these little areas of my life I can ignore. But yet it says, and we've seen, that God wants to reconcile. God wants to restore. And the children of Israel had to be brought to their knees. And if you look here, they went into captivity in the 580s, 590s. And it's not till 516 when the temple is rebuilt. Seventy years, as the Bible says. And so this time period that God told them, it absolutely happened. Were you going to raise your hand? Yes. Oh, it's time. Yes. Quick questions before we do something different tonight. Got two different things tonight. Okay. The first is, they're, they're going to bring John Alex. There he is. John Alex, just sit right there. We'll, we'll pray in just a second, all right? Right there, and then we'll, we'll pray in just a second. Tonight we have a special lady here tonight, and uh, my wife is here too, but uh, Sandra Clark is here tonight, and she is coming tonight to join the church. And so uh, two Wednesday nights in a row, so you people, you tell them that people that are skipping Wednesday night are missing all the good stuff, all right? And so I would take a motion from a member. I have a motion, a second. Uh, all members in, in favor, shout Amen. Amen. All opposed, go somewhere else. Amen. And uh, and so we're so thankful. She's been a part of Tim a long time now. We've claimed her, and she's just finally said, I guess I'll claim them and, as well. And John Alex, you want to come up here? Did you need something? No, we'll bring him up here. So John Alex, come on up here, buddy. It's, an ugly look. it's a good-looking group of people, all right, but don't worry. Uh John Alex has got a gallbladder that's a 50-50% chance. I'm going to have to do some surgery on him, and he's a little bit nervous. And, uh, and was wanting to know if we as a church would pray for him tonight. And I believe the Bible teaches that, that we are to pray for those that uh, have prayer requested. 
And uh, and you okay with everybody getting around you tonight and praying for you, or you want them to stay in their seat? Either way. Either way. So I'm going to ask uh, deacons if you'd come and uh, the rest of the church that if you feel comfortable, we're just going to gather around this young man. We're going to lay our hands on him, as the Bible says. And we're going to pray that the Lord would give you peace. We're going to pray that the Lord takes care of the gallbladder altogether, that you don't have to have surgery, okay? Uh, but if you do have surgery, you get more ice cream and popsicles than you could ever hope for, okay? All right? And so, guys, you come on up. We'll go out here in the middle. Yes, sir. You can shut it off. Thank you. And the rest of the church, if you'd like to come and, and get around this young man, and we're going to pray for you, all right?